And if you'll bow your heads with me, and we'll pray first. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word this morning. And we ask that you prepare all of us for it. Open our hearts, open our minds. Give us a teachable spirit, receptive to all that you would have us learn today. And Lord, I lift up Pastor Mike this morning as he preaches. I ask that you will empower him with your word. Protect him. And let your word from his mouth shine on all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 37, verses 1 through 15. He will not forsake his saints. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. And dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself for the one who prospers in his way. Over the evil man, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart. And their bows shall be broken. And this is the word of the Lord. So today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. We've had that in the bulletin for the last uh, few weeks. Maybe news to some of you. This is a controversial subject. Uh, abortion in large part. And before we get into the message today, um, I want to pray. And I uh, want you to join with me. So let's just bow our heads and pray, and then we will uh, get into this message. Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us here on this Lord's Day. Lord, I, I pray uh, over this topic, this subject, and the biblical passages that we'll be looking at today. I especially want to pray for women that are here this morning who have had abortions, Lord, I pray that they would know the forgiveness and the love of Christ. And Lord, I pray that for every one of us, that we would know that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, that every single one of us are justified equally by faith. 
I pray also that as I speak, Lord, that you would keep me from error and that your Holy Spirit would speak through me and above and beyond anything that I could plan, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in each heart and life here just as is needed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hundreds or maybe thousands of churches set aside a Sunday uh, each year called Souls or Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And this is a controversial and this is a different today. And so I want to begin with three reasons why here at Cornerstone we have a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. The first reason is a biblical one, and it's that God commands Christians in the Bible to care for the weak, for the vulnerable, for the poor. We see this in Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12, perhaps one of the most explicit passages that speaks to this in the Bible. Let's look at it together. It says, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering toward slaughter. If you say the readers of this proverb, if you say, but we know nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? It's important here at the outset that you get what this proverb is is saying. It's saying that if there are those who are strong and those who are powerful that are oppressing the weak, that are taking advantage of them, even killing them, even taking their lives, and you just kind of go about your life as though I'm really kind of removed from this and I'm just kind of going to ignore that this is happening, Proverbs 24, 11, and 12 is saying this is not an alternative for the believer. We can't say, but we knew nothing about this because he perceives our heart. He guards our lives, and there's going to be some kind of of accounting for us as believers. Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? So God has intended for his people, for his church, to be the ones responsible to care for those who are weak, who are poor, who are vulnerable, who are being oppressed, who are being taken out. Did you get that? Are you tracking with me? Raise your hands. Are you with me this morning? So this is not an isolated thing, Proverbs 24. All throughout the scriptures, we see this emphasis on caring for the needy, the poor, the vulnerable, those who are being taken advantage of. The most, one of the most well-known parables of Jesus is the parable of the Good Samaritan. That word has made its way into our secular world and vocabulary, being a Good Samaritan. I know most of you are familiar with the story, but just to kind of refresh it a little bit, There's a man who's left half dead on the side of the road. He has been abused. He has been oppressed. He's lying there dead, half dead, as it were, near death. And there are a couple uh, priests, if you will, a couple pastors, if you will, to use today's language, who pass by on the other side and don't care for him. And then finally, this Jewish man who's left for half dead on the side of the road, a Samaritan walks by. There's this great racial divide between Jews and Samaritans. And this Samaritan goes out of his way and lavishes care upon this Samaritan. This whole parable came about from someone asking Jesus what you have to do to inherit eternal life. 
And at the end, after telling this parable, Jesus says, which of these three, the two Jews, the two priests who walk by, or the third, the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So we see in Proverbs 24, and we see in Luke 10, and in so many other passages that God has called his people to be ministers of mercy, to care for those who are oppressed, to care for those who are abused, who are desperate. So this is my first of three reasons why we are having a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday today. A second reason is that in California, we have more vulnerable persons. We have more babies in the womb aborted each year than in any other state, and that's including per capita. We have a higher percentage than any other state. This is happening all around us. In the state of California, the most recent and accurate statistics go back to 2014. There were 157,000 350 abortions in our state in the year 2014. Now just let that sit on you for a moment. There would be, just from 2014, 157,000 human beings in our state that are not here. So this is another reason that I'm doing Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. That is a lot. On a national scale, in the USA, 2014, 17% of all abortions happened in our state. They happen down the hill a ways, but they happen in the lives of our neighbors. They happen in the lives of students at our high schools and colleges. They happen in the lives of mothers who have children and who are married. It is a very common and regular thing that is happening around us. And the church is called to defend those who are oppressed, those who have no voice, those who cannot defend themselves. And so this is why we have a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Justice is something that God is very concerned about, and he has called us to be his agents to help those who receive injustices, even the injustice of their own life being taken. Andy Crouch, in his book, Strong and Weak, describes injustice this way. It's when a few people enjoy authority without vulnerability at the price of those suffering vulnerability without authority. Babies in the womb have 100% vulnerability. They have no authority. They have no voice. They have no one. And so God has called his church to stand not only for them, but also for their mothers, their fathers, and others. We have injustice related to abortion higher per capita than any other state. So that's the second reason that this is happening all around us. I might skip over this as I look through the list of states this week as I was doing research. I think it was Wyoming, 0%. You know, if I'm pastoring in Wyoming, I, I might hit this a little differently. But this touches very close to all of us, whether you know it or not. So the third reason 
I'm doing this is over a decade ago, so maybe about 15 years ago, I attended uh, for the first, it might have been the first or second time I attended this pastor's conference in Minneapolis, which we just got back from this week. Uh, that same conference, a couple of us went. I've got a couple pictures. I didn't ask permission to share these with you from those who are in them. But you see our um, illustrious worship leader, Jake, on the right, and our greatest webmaster in the world, uh, Isaac, on the left. He's really glad I put this up here. Um, we'll just pretend he's not even here today. But we had a great time in Minneapolis worshiping the Lord. He met us there this week. But the third reason that I am doing a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday goes back to this conference 12 or maybe 15 years ago when there was a plea put out, not too dissimilar from what the kinds of things I'm saying right now to the pastors that were there by John Piper. And he said, this is something that we have to speak about, brothers. This is something we don't want to talk about. This isn't the sermon that you want to give, but this is the sermon that we must give in light of the scriptures and in light of what is going on around us. And it is going, around, uh, it is going on in Minneapolis far less than it is going on here in Minnesota and Minneapolis. So this is why we are doing this. Some have asked that. Why would you do this? So this is, this is why. Let's uh, turn now to the scriptures. Psalm 37 that was just read. Hopefully you have your Bible still open there. I want to uh, look briefly uh, at this. We're just going to look at a few verses in Psalm 37, but a couple things about this psalm. This psalm is different. Those of you who have been here the last few weeks, we've been talking about how the psalms are dialogical, how we are in a dialogue with God with the psalms. He speaks to us through the Psalms, and then as we find our way around the Psalms, they become our own personal prayer book, and we use the Psalms to pray and to cry out to God. So there's this two-way dialogue that goes on throughout the Psalms. But Psalm 37 is a little different. Psalm 37 is more like the book of Proverbs. It isn't a Psalm like the others we've looked at, like most of the Psalms. It's often referred to as a wisdom Psalm. Look at verse 25 very briefly. This is a psalm of David, and in verse 25 he says, I was young, and now I am old. So David is sharing his wisdom that he has acquired throughout his life in Psalm 37. One commentator, Barton Bouchier, writes this about Psalm 37. He says, this psalm very much reminds one in its construction of the pithy conciseness of the book of Proverbs. It does not contain any prayer nor any direct allusion to David's own circumstances of persecution or distress. It is rather the utterance of sound practical wisdom and godliness from the lips of experience and age, such as we might suppose an elder of the church or a father of a family, to let fall as he sat with his household, gathered around him and listening to his earnest and affectionate admonition. So Psalm 37 is kind of like David the grandfather sitting around the fire, calling the family together, and the Holy Spirit has inspired to give him this wisdom in Psalm 37. Again, we're just going to look at a few verses today as this message is rooted in the scripture, but it is largely topical and largely related to the subject of, of the sanctity of human life. But let's look at verses 14 and 15. Turn over there. This is a lengthy psalm if you need to turn back. Verses 14 and 15. David writes this, and this is why I'm in this psalm on this particular day. He writes, The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy 
to slay those whose ways are upright. So we have this imagery in verse 14 uh, of the wicked using weapons, sword, bending a bow, taking advantage of the poor and needy, taking them out as it were, killing them as it were, to slay those whose ways are upright, it says at the end of verse 14. Those who are poor, those who are vulnerable, those who are needy are often described as upright or righteous in the scriptures. This doesn't mean that they're not sinners, that they are not in need of salvation like all of us. But in contrast to those who are oppressing them, they are upright, they are righteous, they are holy, and they deserve protection. And so he's describing this injustice that is going on between the wicked and the poor, the needy, the vulnerable, the upright. Look at verse 15. It says, But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Verse 15 is speaking about judgment. There is, if you will, a boomerang effect in verse 15, or reciprocity. In some way, their own swords, their own bows, their own ways that they are carrying out this injustice is going to come back upon their heads at some point. This is a dangerous thing to do, to oppress those who are vulnerable and those who are needy. It is going on in our culture. There is, in California in particular, I'm using strong language here, but it it is very real. You're going to see this in a moment. There is a strong culture here in California, a culture of death, a culture of spreading an ideology of death. Now, it doesn't look all dark and black. In fact, in many ways, it looks loving and caring. I was just astonished this week, and my heart has been heavy as I've been reading and doing some research, and I'm going to share some of this with you this morning. So your heart is going to probably be somewhat astonished and heavy at what is going on. I came across uh, an article by someone. Her name is Renee Sherman. Not a magazine I, I normally uh, read, uh, Women's Health. Uh, not, not something you find uh, on my desk usually. That was an attempt at humor, but nobody really uh, got that at all. So, But I was reading this article in Women's Health this week. This woman, Renee Bracy Sherman. The title of her article, if you can't read it on the screen, is I've been thankful for my abortion every day since I had it. I'm going to share with you part of what she writes. She, she says this. She says, abortion access is important. I know this because I had one. Ten years ago, at the age of 19, I made one of the best decisions of my life. And I have never looked back. This is how she's describing her abortion. I know this is something most people aren't used to hearing, but it's how many people who have abortions feel about their decisions. She goes on, I've been trying to spread the word for a long time that abortion offers those who need it the ability to pursue a positive future, and now new research backs that up. I had to look into this research this week, and it is just, it is just devastating, this culture of death that is being spread throughout both the scientific community and through popular means like this magazine, Women's Health. Renee Sherman, she goes on in the article. She says, Terminating my pregnancy gave me the freedom 
to leave my toxic relationship and refocus on finishing college, graduating, and now having a career in which I advocate for the very rights that allow me to change paths. Every day, I am thankful for my abortion. This just hits me, even though I've read it before today. She is thankful for her abortion. Now, how is that? There is this this culture of of death that is at work, both, again, in personal articles and personal uh, things that are written in Women's Health Magazine, but there was also a research that was done from University of California, San Francisco. These are all PhD people. This is the conclusion of the research that she cited. Let me just read it to you, and I'll explain what it's saying. This is the conclusion of this longitudinal, serious Four PhD people at UCSF that that did this study. They conclude first trimesters and near limits were over six times as likely as parenting turnaways to report aspirational one-year plans. Now, you don't know what that means at all, so let me explain to you what this research is saying. First trimesters and near limits are describing women in states where they have a regulation about how far into your pregnancy, gestational age, that you can have a pregnancy. Some states have a law. You can't go past a certain point, or your baby can't be over a certain weight. And if that's the case, then you cannot have an abortion in that state. So what this research is saying is that those who received abortions in their first trimesters and were near limits for that state were over six times as likely as parenting turnaways. In this research, parenting turnaways were those who went to have an abortion, but because of the gestational age of their baby or the weight of their baby, they were turned away from an abortion. And guess what, church? They discovered that those women who had babies didn't graduate from college or get a new job that year. Is that a surprise? I mean, are you kidding me? You have to do a study to determine that women who had a baby didn't get a new job that year. Now, thankfully, we have lots of care for mothers who choose to have their babies, and they would leave their work, and their job is guaranteed to be back uh, waiting for them after they have their baby. So it is no shock. Now, the most shocking thing of this woman's testimony, this woman who's thankful for her abortion, and this research One of the most shocking things is there is not a phrase, there is not a sentence, there is not anything about the aspirations of the baby in the womb, many of whom are going to grow up to be women. Not a word. It is being moved out. The idea that you and I, that our lives began in a womb and that we were born that, that, that whole idea that we have any kind of rights, it's just, being, it's just being done away with. And so this is another reason that we are doing Sanctity of Human Life Sunday today. How many of us are thankful that we were born? Can I get an amen or a hand raise or something? I mean, the idea that the blindness of the aspirations of the baby in the womb to the exclusion of the aspirations of the mother alone are just mind-boggling, just mind-boggling. So how do we respond to this? There's a couple different ways we're going to respond. Back to Psalm 37. 
we are told in verses 14 and 15 that justice is going to come to those who are advocating and and seeking to distribute this, this ideology of death, as it were. But one of the ways that we're supposed to respond or how we're not supposed to respond is back at the beginning of the psalm. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. David, this psalm of wisdom, he says, Do not fret. To paraphrase, do not freak out because of evil men or evil women or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Boy, I've been just preaching this and reading this myself this week because this has been a difficult last few days. Preparing for this message, my heart is heavy. But God tells us not to freak out, not to fret, but to delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So one of the ways that we respond to this to this ideology of death is to is to trust in the Lord and not panic and not freak out and not go crazy. So more importantly than us not freaking out is responding with love and compassion to those who might have abortion, those who are abortion-minded, those who have had abortions, that we as the church would be ministers of mercy to everyone who is in need and is desperate. Now, I'm thankful that not everyone, in fact, very few, respond the way that Renee Sherman responded. Very few respond the way these PhD researchers at UCSF respond. Most people, even outside the church, have a battle or a struggle when abortion comes close to them. And I want to share with you, I read a magazine I don't normally read this week, and I've also listened to music this week that I don't normally listen to. There are, I learned this week, there are a variety of popular music songs that are out there today that deal with this issue in a very personal way. And one of them is off of Eminem's recent album uh, that just came out in 2017, a song called The River. He didn't write this song, but he describes, this song describes the pain and agony that goes on in the context of abortion. And I'm bringing this up because we have a responsibility not only to not freak out and to not fret, but to love and to minister when we encounter people who are in this sort of situation. So this song, uh, River, uh, anybody know this song? It's okay if you do. A couple of you do. Okay, Brett does. All right. Hey, Brett. I appreciate watching you dance this morning. Did anybody notice him uh, down here just getting down as we're worshiping? So this song, River, is dealing with this in, in a way that I think many of our neighbors and friends and colleagues and classmates who face a crisis pregnancy or an unwanted pregnancy, I think many are going to respond unless they've been reading uh, women's health and being influenced by those researchers at UCSF. I think this is a more likely way to respond. Someone who's outside the church and, 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 and is involved and comes in close contact with an abortion. These are just some of the lyrics from the song. Some of the lyrics I couldn't put up on the screen. I'm not advocating for this song, all right? But here we go. So the, the lyrics begin and the, that I'm going to share with you today. And now that I got you, I don't want you. Took advantage in my thirst to pursue. Why do I do this dirt that I do? Got on my soapbox and preach my sermon and speech. 
Now, some context here. This, this guy, Ed Sheeran, is one of the authors of the lyrics of this song. And what is being referred to here is an immoral relationship. A guy who has pursued a woman, and he got her. One night stand. Now that I got you, I don't want you. Took advantage in my thirst to pursue. Why do I do this dirt that I do? He's realizing, he's, he's convicted that I should not have done with her what I have done. And he's preaching to himself as it were. Song goes on. Detergent and bleach is burning the wound. Because now with her in the womb, this one night stand results in pregnancy. We can't bring her into this world. Detergent and bleach is burning the wound. There is pain and suffering and agony that is going on in this relationship, this one-night stand that has taken place because for whatever reason they have decided in this culture, in this ideology of death that we have, that we're not going to bring her into this world. But he's struggling. He's struggling. And this struggle is what this song is all about. I'm bringing this up today because in God's providence, God is going, God has us, his, his people on this earth to speak into people's lives who experience this sort of thing. They are in pain and suffering. This song speaks of it. It goes on, truth and my lies right now are falling like the rain. So let the river run. The river is a metaphor for his tears that are flowing. Because he wished he hadn't done what he had done and he wished there hadn't been a baby, but we can't bring this baby into the world. And so there's this battle in his soul of truth and lies. And it's just bringing tears that are just flowing down. It goes on. I've been a liar, been a thief, been a lover, been a cheat. All my sins need holy water. Feel it washing over me. Well, little one, baby in the womb, I don't want to admit to something if all it's going to cause is pain. He wants to deny what he is about to do in saying, yes, let's abort this little one. This battle goes on in most people's lives when this happens. And part of the reason that we are preaching this, I'm preaching this message this morning is God is calling us to stand in the gap and to be ready to speak into people's lives who suffer in this way. So how do we respond to this situation? Out of Psalm 37, we shouldn't freak out. We shouldn't be going crazy. We should be able to sleep at night. We should should be able to trust God. There's going to be justice and judgment for those who are spreading this ideology of death. But we also need to respond with love and compassion. And Jesus is our model of this. We don't have time to get into it today, but in John chapter 4, Jesus has this encounter with another, a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans do not normally talk to each other. Men and women don't normally talk to each other. A rabbi, a man of Jesus' stature, wouldn't normally be talking with this woman. She wasn't, an abortion was not something that was common then, but she is someone who has been with five different men. And how does Jesus interact with her? To the shock of his disciples, he engages, he talks to her, he puts his lips on her cup. He speaks the truth to her. He calls her to himself. He identifies himself as the Messiah. And this is part of what we need to do as we encounter and this world where abortion is so common in California as we encounter it. Part of what we need to do is do what Jesus did with that woman at the well and point people to Christ 
and let them know that God loves them and forgives them and the situation is redeemable. This doesn't have to be something that takes you down. So many women I have seen God take this terrible thing that has happened to them in their past and redeem it, forgive them, and use them to minister to so many others in this way. That is what this woman does at the well. She goes into town, and what happens? She brings everybody back. you got to see this guy who knows everything about my life. Is he the Messiah? Indeed, he is the Messiah. Well, in our last uh, few minutes together, what I want to do today is talk about concrete application how we respond specifically, concretely. I've talked in generically two different ways. The first way is that we don't freak out from verses 1 through 4, that we rest in God. And then secondly, that we share the gospel, that we point people to Christ. Preaching Christ and the gospel, this is the primary, the central, the really only solution. If our culture is going to turn around, it is going to be because the church become strong, and we have an influence in our state, and we make disciples who make disciples. This is not happening in California. This is the reason we are the leader. As I look down that list this week of the states and the percentage of abortions in each state, the two states, only two states were in double digits, New York and California, two states, especially California, where the church is not strong. So we need to be witnesses of Jesus and point people to Christ and share the hope that is in the gospel message of forgiveness. This is one of the specific ways we need to respond. I've got several of these ways. A second way that you can respond to this message today, if you don't have this, and this would be the first way to respond really, is to pray that he would give you love and compassion for human beings that are in the womb, also for their mothers and for their fathers. This is the starting point. Pray that God would give you compassion. A third way to respond is to adopt or promote adoption. Now, to be honest, very few of the uh, crisis pregnancies in our area end up in adoption, but some of them do, and we've been able to witness some of them. It is such a beautiful thing. As we become more available and are ready as believers to adopt, this is going to become more of an option. So this is something to pray about and think about. This is a huge thing, but this is one way to respond. Another way to respond, opening your home to a mother with an unplanned pregnancy. Again, this is a difficult thing if the mother is under 18, but this is something also that we can do, and we've seen this happen as well. Number five, bring the gospel themes of forgiveness and hope to a post-abortive mother or father. Oh, I... I don't have much interaction with people like those UCF, UCSF PhD professors with that woman. But if we did, we want, would want to bring gospel themes of forgiveness and hope to her, to them, to let them see that their future is not primarily about college degrees and that sort of thing, but it's about something much bigger, having a relationship with the God who created you, who will bring you hope and joy. So number six we can join the prayer and rescue ministry in loving mothers at the doorstep of abortion clinics, hospitals, and medical centers. And abortions are starting to happen more and more, not at abortion clinics, but in the home, through the pills, through uh, the, the uh, what's the term for this? Michelle. Medical, medical-induced abortion. We're starting to have more and more of those, and then there other abortions are starting to happen in hospitals and medical centers. So we can join. We have folks who go down and minister 
and love those who are actually at the doorsteps of these places. And we have seen babies, lives saved because of our little church and people who have, have gone down there. And some of the people have responded to a message like this and thought, man, this is not something I would ever do. This is way outside of my comfort zone. They end up going. And the first time there, I remember one time we had a young mom in a minivan praying with us who didn't go through with an abortion that particular day because we were down there. Let me just read to you what one of um, Carol, where is it okay if I read a little bit of this? Carol wrote this out today. Carol uh, wrote this. She wrote, Prayer and Rescue is a quiet sidewalk ministry. No disturbing signs or disruptive shouting to passersby. Only prayer for the people going in and coming out uh, of the Planned Parenthood on 201 29th Street in Sacramento. We pray especially for the unborn babies who have been threatened with abortion. Uh, We offer pamphlets of information for alternatives to uh, Planned Parenthood like Sierra Pregnancy and Health, and pray people will be open to these other options other than abortion. So Carol's here. Is Lori, are you here today? Lori's not here. But Carol, would you just stand? So, So if women would like to talk about, or men, talk about going down to uh, Planned Parenthood, you could see Carol after the service today. And then the final, the final uh, thing that we have and how to respond is praying for, financially supporting, or volunteering at one of our pregnancy centers. There's one up in Grass Valley, and we have someone here today from the one down the hill, and she's going to come up now. Kristen, come on up. Great to have you with us. Kristen is from Sierra Pregnancy and Health. We've been affiliated with that for some time. My wife and I both served on the board some time ago. So why don't you just briefly introduce yourself to everyone and just share maybe briefly about the purpose and the ministry that goes on there and where it's located. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having us today. I want to thank you all for such a warm welcome that my family and I received today. So my name is Kristen Lothar, and I'm the patient services manager of Sierra Pregnancy and Health. So that means that I manage all of our patient care as well as all of our volunteer staff. We're located in Roseville. Um, off of Coloma, between, off of Sunrise, between Douglas and Kirby. So please do come by and see us. We often give tours if you're interested to see what we do firsthand. We are a nonprofit, um, pro-love, as we like to say, place where women and men alike can come for a time of confidentiality and safety to share what's going on in their lives. So most of our services are for women. A year ago, we became a state-licensed medical facility, so we're able to offer... Um, a lot of care that we were not able to before. And something that you, is, that's unique in what we do is we also are able to share the gospel. And I wanted to touch on a point that you made, number two, which was about compassion. And this is something that I train my advocates before they meet with a client, and that is that compassion is a relationship between two equals. And if we can understand that every person, whether yet born or not, is equally created in the image of Christ to reflect his glory back to him, then we are able to sit in a place of humility across from our neighbors as we listen to their story. And we all have victories in Christ, and we all have sin. That's the great equalizer, right? It is. And so if we can understand that our role at the center, but also your role as the church in your everyday living is to show compassion by recognizing that you are equal to the person that you are engaging with. So that's our heart. We tell every person that comes into our clinic that they matter, their story matters, and their life matters. An example to this would be a while ago, I had the privilege of sitting down with a 19-year-old woman who found herself pregnant again, 
and she shared her story with me. She was homeless, living under a bridge, and had been abandoned by her family many years ago. Think about that. At 19, abandoned years before. She was just a child. She had had two previous children she had given up for adoption and was now pregnant again. She didn't know who the father was and sat across from me crying and said she had fought off an attacker the night before under the bridge she lived and hadn't eaten in two days. And I could relate to her, not because I've been homeless, but I've been a teen mom twice. I first was pregnant at 16 and again at 18. And when I could humble myself by God's grace to sit across from her and recognize her as my equal, I could have compassion for what was going on in her life. And so that is who we are. That is what we do. Um, We strive not to judge people, but to let them know that grace is for everyone. It's for me. It's for you. And that if you say yes to all that God calls you to do, he is faithful to use your story. So what I want to do right now, well, and I still want to hear a little bit from you, but I want to invite the men who have these baby bottles uh, to come and distribute them. We've done this before, but if you're new to Cornerstone and you don't know what this is, these baby bottles serve as a couple things. They've been around our home for many years. And you kind of get questions when guests come to your home and you don't have babies anymore and you got baby bottles uh, hanging around. So it ends up being something you can talk about. But these are something that you can... Uh, go ahead and pass these out, guys. If you'd like one, go ahead and grab one. These are for you to put coins in or bills in or $100 bills in or $1,000 checks or whatever. And you can... We'll collect these. Uh, we'll put in the bulletin. We'll probably usually collect them like the first Sunday of March, something like that. And this is just a way to remind us both in our homes to be praying for their ministry, and then as God leads us to put change, to put money in there, to help fund it. All ministry requires funding. It's a nonprofit organization. So this is just one of the ways that we do uh, this. So again, we'll put this um, in the bulletin. We're going to collect them. You can take them home, and if you would uh, like to participate that, you can bring them back and just drop them in the offering plate. But while they're passing those out, maybe you could share um, another. Do you have anything else, any specific needs that you have? Um, any um, vacancies as far as volunteers, someone who might want to get involved, any, anything that way? Absolutely. So we are currently accepting new volunteers. I would be the contact person for that. If you are interested, please do contact me. You are welcome to just walk in. You can call or email. We do have some materials out in the foyer that do have our phone number as well as email. Um, There are many ways a person can partner with us in volunteering. You could become a patient advocate, which is where you have the privilege to sit across from someone and walk through their crisis with them and resource them. You could also partner with us through special events. We have a dinner coming up. It's our biggest fundraiser dinner of the year. That's February 22nd. If you'd like to volunteer, set up, tear down, or serve, you're welcome to do that. We also have um, a church liaison which is someone who, you know, talks to their church family, brings bottles to your church, collects funds that way. Um, there are many, many ways a person can partner with us. So please don't hesitate. I will be here after service out there. If someone would like to come and talk with me, I would be happy to do that. Well, with that, I want to take a moment and pray for you, Thank you. and pray together. And then the worship team is going to come back up and we're going to continue to sing. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Sierra pregnancy and health. We thank you for those who have been called, in a sense, to be on the front lines of this ministry. Lord, we recognize that you have not all called us to be in that place. But I pray that each one here today, Lord, that we would respond to your word and to this message in some way. Lord, there may be some here who who will be volunteering, and I pray that you would be prompting them to make that contact or to talk to one of us even today. Lord, we pray that you would protect this ministry, Sierra Pregnancy and Health, 
from the evil one. We pray that you would expand their ministry. We pray that you would bring increasingly more and more uh, women, women who are in crisis, men who are in crisis to their center. And we pray that the gospel would go forth with compassion, both for those who are in the crisis of of, uh, uh, unwanted pregnancy and those who have maybe already gone through an abortion. We pray, Lord, that their ministry would be fruitful and that we would see many experiencing a life of joy in living for Jesus. We thank you for this ministry in Jesus' name. Amen.